follow the Four Corners Podcast on social media. Like us on Facebook, Four Corners Podcast. Follow us on Twitter, Podcast Four Corners. And check us out on Instagram, Four Corners Podcast. You can also subscribe to us on iTunes and Stitcher. Don't forget to leave us a five-star review. I want to take this time to apologize to the television audience for what they're about to see. traveling through another dimension, a dimension of not just ropes and mats, but of sound, because it's a podcast. A journey into a strange land of wrestling, action figures, and imagination. There's a signpost up up ahead. Your next stop, the Four Corner Zone. (laughs) Hey, everybody. This is Shad here with Matt and Brad. Um, Thank you for joining us for, uh, I think, I think this drops for Halloween week, doesn't it, guys? If it, if it, um, yeah, this, this, should, this will drop Halloween week. I'll make sure of it. All right. How are you guys doing this evening? Uh, doing good, Chad. Yeah. I've been eating a lot of candy. <laughs> I've been trying not to. What about I you? Haven't, I, I haven't bought any yet, so I really need to do that. But we don't like the weather's been so bad. Like the last five or six years, we don't get like kids much anymore. Yeah. Well, with COVID. Calvin may have been canceled in your area, but no, it's it's still it's a go here as far as I know. <laughs> we uh we didn't buy candy. We just my mother in law just sent like an entire box full of candy. <laughs> so that's a good and bad thing because it's like I, I I just eat wind up eating like several pieces of it throughout the day. I don't mm-hmm. I don't open it because if if it has something in it I like like if there's butterfingers in there like those won't make it whole trick-or-treat yeah yeah i've got um i had gotten a bag that had some stuff that my boys like that i don't dole out very much but um it's got snickers and three musketeers in it and um my willpower is challenged uh i try to get stuff with nerds in it i've learned over the years that kids will take nerds over chocolate a lot and it's really bizarre to me but okay (laughs) <laughs> uh, I am quite the fan of nerds. I like nerds quite a bit. I like the uh, the, the sweet and tangy. I like the nerds rope. Tart- uh, see, I don't like that. Really? Yes. Isn't also... that incorporating like a gummy in part of it? Yeah. Yeah. No, I don't. I don't. As I've uh, mentioned before in our uh, candy episodes, uh, ranking the candy, I don't really like gummy candies. Uh, only Sour Patch Kids is like the only gummy candy that I, I find acceptable. Uh, I like nerds by themselves. Nerds are, uh, are I nice. Also, I don't like nerds in a blizzard. Oh, God, I, I would never do that. I don't like M&Ms in a blizzard either because M&Ms, when they get cold, get hard and weird. I don't like I don't like mm. M&Ms in a blizzard. Mm. A Butterfinger blizzard is a good option. Though. Oh, fantastic. I've had yeah. this before. You know what also is a good uh, blizzard? Like a Heath bar? Like a good uh, yeah. toffee? Yeah. Snicker yeah. Blizzard, Reese's Cup Blizzard. There's a lot of really good blizzards. Um, so we want to thank you all for joining us. Obviously, we are in the spirit of the holiday. We'll get our shout-outs out there real quick. The first one is 
Collar and Elbow, the wrestling brand, collarandelbowbrand.com with its European store now open. Use the promo code Four Corners Podcast. That's the number four, capital C and Corners, capital P and Podcast. Save 10% on your order. And for our other shout out, we throw it over to Matt. Matt. That'd be to Orlando Cologne. You know, Orlando Cologne wanted me to play something for all of our listeners. Oh, yeah? Yeah, you ready? I'm listening. I think so. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, for those of you listening uh, out there, I hope you had your masks on. And if you did, you're probably dying a horrific yeah. death by uh, Wiccan curse. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so uh, this week we're doing well for Halloween. We've tried to do something at least two of the years. I think um, I think we did Evolution the first year, but there was Halloween talk in there. But this year, this kind of was short. Evolution. <laughs> this, Evolution this, uh, is a pissed marine. So this um this year, it's kind of came up on short notice, but we we're getting to talking about the Twilight Zone, and um. We were talking a lot about it, and we decided it would make actually a good episode to kind of discuss our favorite episodes and kind of, I guess, the impact it's had on our lives. And what we consider the best, what we consider the favorites, and and all that kind of stuff. It's uh, it's really, it's a fascinating, what, six, what was it, six seasons it ran? Yeah, about... Six seasons in, um, I think, the late 50s, early 60s. It went from, like, 59 to, like, 65, I think. And it was a um, an anthology show. Now, I don't think that I am going to run into a whole lot of argument from the idea that this is the best anthology show in existence, I think. I would say it has an argument to being the best show ever. Matt, what do you think? Uh, Twilight Zone? Yeah. I, I'm i a big fan. I uh, I don't think I've seen every episode, but I've probably seen most of them. And it is... I would say it is one of the greatest shows of all time. It's... Uh, I would definitely rank it high. In terms of at least genre programming, it's definitely in like top ten. Yeah. It's just an extraordinarily well-written show. I think I've seen every episode, but like, there's there's a couple like that I've seen that I I had seen for the first time just recently. The one with um, George Takei I'd never seen for some reason because I don't think that gets a lot of TV play or something. But I saw that for like the first time recently. I uh, I don't know. I haven't what I'll, I'll admit. I have not watched um, the um, reboots at any point. They're not so, very good. Um, but the original is just, just fascinating in how consistently good it is. Um, Minus the hour-long episodes, those tend to suck. Well, it just... It, it, just how consistently good it is uh, over and over and over again. 
and doing so it stays within a genre um but doing so with with just i mean so many different uh different angles and approaches to take so you know I, i'm yeah uh, a big fan of twilight zone as well so um i think what we sh- i'm gonna start with do we want to start with discussing some of the best or what we think are our favorites or where do we want to start from why don't we talk about our first encounters with it okay because i think that i think that's important like our age and stuff because you know we weren't alive for its um original run so we would have had to have caught this on reruns i know for me when i first saw it I saw it at my cousin's house. I was probably like 10 or so. And I think it was actually the first episode uh, where, where the guy's like wandering the town and no one's there and he ends up being like an astronaut. Oh, yeah. But um, I think where where I, <clears throat> where I really got to see the show in mass and really fall in love with the show, though, is <clears throat> the sci-fi channels, 4th of July and New Year's, like, Eve and Day marathons of it. I think that's... Cause, yes. I mean, yeah. For, ever i still will tune in for those i think they're on a different channel now but i i always make a point to at least watch a couple episodes like 20 some years later on those marathon days that is actually uh where i saw most of the episodes yeah that's that's where i saw them too now here's the the for me it was i knew about them before i watched them because my dad watched them when they first aired Mm. and they were, I mean, they were a big, big deal for, for dad. Um, he, he really enjoyed, uh, Twilight Zone. So that's, uh, yeah, I, I had kind of a primer before I watched him. I think my dad was a fan, but this was kind of one of those things I, I explored kind of fresh and it was definitely an experience <laughs> ain't that the truth all right because you really never because um, really if you've never watched it before there's obviously the ones that have been like parodied and pop culture to death but that's really the ones that get like parodied in pop culture that's really only four or five episodes a lot of the times yeah. you really don't know what you're going to get or where an episode's going to go. Um, even if you haven't seen one in a while, like sometimes you don't remember it very well. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's so many of them and they do so many different things. So it's, yeah, it's, it's really easy to forget some unless they really stand out to you. All right. Um, I tell you what, guys. Do we want to talk about our favorite episodes, or do we want to go into? Well, what, why don't we talk about what I would say is probably the most iconic episode, which is probably "Terror at Twenty Thousand Feet," which is um, mm-hmm. a William Shatner appearance where he's kind of having anxiety about flying and. Um, there's this creature on the side of the plane that's just tearing the, um, the plane up. And there's this whole back and forth through the whole episode. And, you know, he essentially gets taken away, like, to an insane asylum at the end. 
And this is actually remade for the movie in the 80s with John Lithgow reprising William Shatner's role. And I actually think that's a worthy um, remake of this episode. There's a couple of things about this one. I I, I would consider it one of the... uh, I would say probably four most iconics, uh, which I'll, I'll list. We'll, we'll do that later. One thing that cracks me up about this is that Shatner's delivery style fits perfectly. <laughs> you know, the, the, the thing that everybody cracks a joke about with, um, Shatner's delivery on Star Trek and stuff like that. Uh, it, it, it makes perfect sense here because Okay, hang on. We should have said this again. By the way, everybody, if you haven't watched the Twilight Zone, it's 70 years old now. Yeah, here's your spoiler warning. All right. Is it really 70 years old? Well, 60, 60 years old. If it started in 59, 1960 to 2020, 60 years old. Okay. Fair enough. Um, the, last year would have been a 60th anniversary. So we are looking at, you know, yeah, spoilers. You don't, there's your warning. Uh, you know what you get into. You get 20 years to deal with it. Yeah. Um, Shatner's character had been released from a mental facility at the beginning of the episode, and they're flying home. So he's laboring under this stigma that even the peop- even his family that's there with him thinks he's just cracking back up again. But the, the the problem that I have with this episode, and it's it's got nothing to do with it, really. My problem is that there, the, there's a scene where he's looking out the window, and he's got it shut, and he's looking away from it, and doesn't want to look at it, doesn't want to look at it. He's got the curtain over the window, right? And that's a big interior of an airplane, too, by the way. And then he, like, jerks it back and look, and the gremlin's face is, like, right there at the window looking at him. I laugh every time that happens because the look on the gremlin's face cracks me up. I can't help myself. It's better in the movie, but the gremlin's more terrifying in the movie because it's like, uh, it's more animal. It's more like if you've seen the one in the movie is more like, um, if you've ever seen the Simpsons parody of this with the gremlin on the side of the bus, it looks more like that. Yes. And my favorite part of that is like, Otto, there's a gremlin on the side of the bus. And he looks over, and there's Hans Volven driving a gremlin. He's like, oh, I'll take care of it. And he rams him off the road. <laughs> um, it, yeah, the, just the original Gremlin cracks me up, because he's looking at you, and he's like, um, he's like, sup? You got any, you got any cigarettes? Or something like that. Um, and I, I, it's hard for me to get to get past that. I think, um, I think which isn't fair. I know it's not fair, but I think the gremlin in that one, though, in that version of it, is not so much malicious as he's just like kind of curious and screwing around with stuff. Yeah, like he's just kind of checking it out and taking it apart. Like he's not necessarily being malicious. He's just like, oh, how does this thing work? Like, I don't care if you're gonna crash or anything. I'm just curious. Yeah. What's in here? I found yeah. an image from the the movie you were mentioning, and that's that's a much scarier looking gremlin. Yeah. So as opposed to close up. Or or one of the only things the best Bugs Bunny was a gremlin. <laughs> but it's the Twilight Zone has um, the ending on it is is 
pretty fascinating because you have this you get to the end of it and there's a uh, they they just think he's crazy and drag him off and if anybody was paying attention to what he was saying the mechanics are going to see that the wing is messed up he's not hallucinating because that's that's called into question the whole time but is anyone going to tell anybody who heard him raving about it or is it just is he just you know is he just screwed and going back to a a mental facility again yeah actually you know the two William Shatner episodes are really strong cuz he's also got that other one where they're going to that diner and he's obsessed with the little fortune telling thing on the table Mm, I would need to watch that one again. He was I, like, but I think almost all of the Star Trek cast made an appearance on this show. Okay. Oh, I found I found the uh, copy of the, or I found someone made a a mask of the Gremlin from that. So, yeah, that's pretty creepy looking. So, Shad, what would be your other, what would be, let me guess what one of your other most iconic episodes would be, would be Burgess Meredith is, you know, in the library after the world ends. Time enough at last, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's, a, yeah. that's a really classic one. I don't like that, that one. That one just makes me sad at the end. Well, that's, that's part of the Dwellers home. It's, it, yeah, you feel, I feel bad for Burgess Meredith the whole way through, because, God, the dude just wants to read. And maybe he wants to read too much, but for God's sakes, everybody is so hard on him about it. And maybe I identified with it because I might have been like that when I was a kid. <laughs> and then to have that ending, that that that's, that is a very Twilight Zone ending. Because if you were to give that to somebody else, if that was in like a King novel or something, then then things would fall on him and kill him. Twilight Zone didn't do that. I think that's like a super early episode. I think that's like a it's season like, one. I think that's yeah. I mean, let me, um, see. let me see. I've got. I'll have it here in just a second. Uh, that was a little further in than I thought. Uh, season one, episode eight. Yeah, so it's it's um, that shows just how quick they they like hit their their stride with it. Mm-hmm. I figure Rod Serling had a bunch of ideas written down whenever he went to go pitch it, so he could just hit the ground running and go. So what would be what would be one of your other most iconic Um that would be To Serve Man. Another one that is so iconic that it got parodied everywhere. Yes. You know, you know I don't By the Simpsons too, I believe. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. You know, I, I honestly think um, I don't actually that's not one of my favoriteest episodes. Like, I think it's good, but I think like the parody of The Simpsons was actually better than the original episode. I remember watching the clip, but I don't remember the joke precisely. Uh, there's one part where Marge is eating and like Kang or Kodos is drilling. It's like, pardon me, Mr. Simpson, but your wife is quite a dish. Actually, that was James Earl Jones doing the voice of one of them. <laughs> He might have done both of them, actually. Okay. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think that I think it's a good episode. But generally, like, if you were to give me like 
hey, you can take these 15 or 20 episodes of the Desert Island with you, that one would actually probably not make my cut. Even though it is iconic, I just don't... That's just not yeah. one that I think super amazing. It is my dad's... Like, for for my dad, this encapsulates the Twilight Zone for him. This one, like, uh, terrified him. The At the... There, okay, if I can if I can do one little nitpick on this. At the end, whenever the guy's assistant comes running to tell him, she runs up and then she pauses just long enough for him to be up the ramp and not able to get away before she drops the line. And it's like, you know, if you just would have said it whenever you got there, instead of pausing for dramatic effect, then, it, you know... <laughs> But that's just that's just one little nitpick. Um, See, now, to me, I'm trying to find the name of the episode because I'm not good with episodes name episode names. You have to forgive me, people. But um, the episode that exemplifies the Twilight Zone to me is um, the episode where like it's like about the neighborhood and like the power goes out. And yeah, um, that's right here on my next one. Monsters they, on Maple Street. That that to me is like probably the best twilight zone episode and like exemplifies it the best just because that one really digs into like human nature and just how frail like the veneer of society is and how quickly it can all go away yeah yeah that's that one's uh that one's pretty um that that one has a heck of a message behind it. That's one, two, three, four. That's four of my five iconic ones. Um, Monsters on Maple Street is, and they, then you get to the end of it because there's always the twist. You get to the end of it, and you're like, oh, oh, this is not what I. Oh, this is not the twist I expected at all. So, um, wow, right. So, uh, let me guess, is your fifth one, It's a Good Life, I think, is it's called? Nope. Okay. Nope. The it's a Good Life is not the fifth one I consider iconic of the series. For the one that I marked down is the fifth iconic one, is Eye of the Beholder. Ah, that's a, that's a really good one. Which yeah. one is that one? That is, woman goes into surgery because if you are considered ugly or deformed in society. Oh, is that where they're all pig people and she's normal? Yep. Yes. Oh, you know what that reminds me of is the Munsters where uh, Marilyn is considered ugly because she's a normal person and they're all like monsters. Yes. And they keep thinking like her men keep running away because um, she's ugly, but it's because they keep seeing her men. (laughs) See, the, the thing about this is like the tropes have to come from somewhere and so many science fiction and I guess horror tropes come out of stuff sci-fi or that um, Twilight Zone did. So many of these things come come out of the Twilight Zone in such a fascinating way. Um, See, actually, so, I would say this one is um, this episode, I would say, is probably the most Lovecraftian of everything they did. Why would you say that? Just like the, the just like the fear of like the other, which is like big and and like the the Lovecraft thing is like very strong here. Like, just like okay. the mood feels very Lovecraft to me versus like some of the other stuff. 
Okay, now I understand. When you when you say love, people say Lovecraftian. It's like I. I don't mean tentacle monsters and stuff. I mean like right, the cosmic horror. Yeah, I mean like the mood and like the undertone like feels very Lovecraftian versus um versus I don't like if you actually like read his stuff. Yeah, that's 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 why I felt like I needed to clarify because it could be a uh, uh, that could be a um it could mean different things to different people. Yeah, I know. Those are, but you know, these all. Not only were mm, three of them, at least, time enough at last served man and tear at 20,000 feet, have they become almost like cultural touchstones. Um, you know, they, they've inspired like so many things that come after it. Um, and then there are some others that are, are really good. My favorite is not one of the iconic ones, but I've talked a lot and I want to sit back and what do you guys think? What are, what are your favorite episodes? Okay. So I, the beholder is one you, you, the really like big ones have been listed. Let me yeah. actually look through the list to see. The howling man is probably one of my favorite ones because that one has like a real mood to it that I, I think sets it apart from the other episodes. And so that's like this guy like is like taking refuge in this castle and John Carradine's there and he's telling him like, you can't let this guy out because it's the devil. And this, this guy like talks him into like letting him out. And then the guy Mm kind of gets like KO'd and you just see this devil like walk out the door. Like it's a really, it's a really bizarre, but memorable episode. And it's one of my favorites. Mm hmm. The end on that is also fascinating because apparently the guy that let him out, either he's either really old or he doesn't age and finally tracks the devil down again. Like, he let him out after World War One, so it's post-World War Two and all the crazy stuff that went with it. Maybe post-World War Two in Korea. And he finally catches him, and he's like, okay, we're taking you back. And then the devil turns around and talks, talks someone else into letting him back out. So it's like every time... He gets caged. He finds another. He finds someone who will let him out by playing to their curiosity or their pity or their compassion or something. And then I have to look up the name here because I just saw it. Because it's a very good character study. It has Jack Klugman, the one where they're playing pool. Uh, I know which one you're talking about. Hold on. I think. Uh, I think yeah, it's a game of pool. Yeah, yeah, that that one is a very interesting um, character study of a man that like wasted his life doing nothing worthwhile. Yeah, and just playing a silly game. Um, I really like that one. And you get to see Jonathan Winters being dramatic. I was going to say funny. that that actually you get to see Jonathan Winters actually showing that he can actually be like a fantastic actor. Yeah, yeah. They they yeah. really had a good interplay between the two of them. Actually, Jack Klugman and was is probably up there for great roles on this show because he has, um, he's also in the episode where his son like is dying in Vietnam. Um, what's that one called? I think it's in my name is Pip maybe. Yes. I think that's right. Which is a fantastic, like he, he's absolutely fantastic in that episode. And I'd say he's up there with uh, um, William Shatner and Burgess Meredith as like the best like guest stars on the show. 
Hmm. That's yeah, fair. Burgess Meredith did, I think, what, like three or four appearances? He did, he did that one, but he also did the one where he hit the librarian, I think, which was just like a fantastic um, episode. Okay. And then I don't remember the name of it, but it's like where that where that Nazi officer is going back and like visiting the concentration camp. I know and which he, one you're talking about. And like he 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 meets a guy that was there and like the ghost of the place. I think is essentially lynch him. At they the end put him it. on trial. I know. Uh, yeah, but that's a fantastic episode of like just an absolute like scumbag of a person like getting there. Yeah, getting their comeuppance. Yeah. Oh gosh! And then um, the one, the one, oh crap, the one, the one with like the boxing robot and it breaks and the guy has to go like. Yeah, I think that one's called Steel. Yeah, I think that's in the last season. I'm pretty sure. Um. something steel or maybe it, it's just steel and now i think for me the the scariest one the one that like i think is a younger person scared me just because of like the sound it made but the one where they go and they're gambling and the the machine keeps saying franklin oh then, like, that was the, back in season one the... And then the slot machines like at the door but like that franklin thing like absolutely like, scared me like as a younger yeah it does that whispering franklin kind of yeah. thing yeah that one was that one was a good one that one's called the fever um i, I finally found my my episode list there is for what it's worth um and this is only going to be for like the first 31 episodes, but there is on YouTube, there is a, a guy who's, he's doing a series called the Twilight Tober Zone, where he's, he, he's talking about the first 31 episodes of the Twilight Zone. Now, some of them, um, it's affiliated with Channel Awesome, so they've got some skits around some of the early ones. I think they, they, they set that aside and said, we're not going to, we're not going to keep doing that. Um. But it does a really good breakdown, and it talks about a lot of the, uh, like, cinematography and how they made, like, the some of the sounds and stuff like that. I think in it, it, it had how they did the voice, but I can't remember what he said it was. I've got a couple. Go okay. for it. Uh, five characters in search of an exit. That's my favorite right there. Really? Oh, your favorite? Yes. Okay. Yeah, that's... Uh, I, is... I actually love that one, but I do that with Chad's favorite, so I was trying... I was oh, that one. That's all right. That's all Sorry right. Let's talk about shot. it. No, let's talk about it. So you can interject if you want to. Um, this is where it's, it's as the name implies. There's five characters. There's a clown. There's a ballet dancer. Clown is very a... proto-Joker, too, by the way. Some yeah. Is, like... Very um, George Romero, oh, no Caesar Romero, Caesar Romero. His, um, very fatalistic. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so there's a clown. There's a there's a ballet dancer. There's like a soldier. Um, there's a bagpiper. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then there's a uh, I guess like a bum, like a hobo, oh, like oh, a homeless yeah. a homeless dude. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they are trapped in like a cylinder. And the episode is 
about them trying to get out. They have no memory of how they got there, how they became trapped in the, the cylinder. They don't have any food. They don't have any water. They're like freaking out. And the episode is kind of like a character study of them and how they're trying to like work together to, to get outside of this uh, enclosure. And then at the very end, it's revealed that all of the characters are actually toys Mm-hmm. Uh, that are being, I think they're being donated, right? They're like yeah. in a they're goodwill. A they're like a goodwill yeah. box. At Christmas yeah. Or something. yeah, yeah. So it's like a, yeah. a interesting subversion, and it's a, it's actually like it's fascinating. It, yeah. That's one of the things that I really loved about the show. It's, it's extraordinarily well written, um, which a lot of the episodes were actually written by Rod Sterling, which is like incredibly impressive to me. It's like. He did a great job with the show, but I, I forgot like how many episodes he actually wrote himself because there's a lot of really unique episodes that he actually just did. Uh, but One it also I yeah attack on the end of, of five characters because they don't they don't know that they're they're actually going to yes. get a happy ending. They don't know it yet, but at the end, whenever you discover where they are, because the major gets out. And someone, a little girl, picks it up, and the woman says, we'll put it back in the barrel with the rest of them. So she drops it back in the barrel, and there's a sign on it that it's it's a donation for a girl's orphanage. None of the characters know that. So mm-hmm. all that they know is that even if they get out, they're getting put back in. And so the, the, the major's laying there, and like the ballet dancer doll... They're all just dolls there, but she moves her hand over on top of his and it has tears running down her face because they think they're in, in such like everything about this is such a mind screw. <laughs> Nothing is what you'd expect. And it's just as fascinating to watch if you've seen it, because even if you know what it is, you're still on the ride with them. And it's just you know the ending of it they're so sad but even still they're going to get a happy ending but they don't realize it i think the brilliance of the show is like what stereotypically people think of the twilight zone is the twist endings but the episodes aren't dependent on that and if you actually watch the show very few of the episodes actually have like super twist endings to it like some of them are just um just straight up just weird Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. Let's see. Or if you like, if you're like the one again, I don't know the episode name, but where those people are on the tour bus and like one of them's an alien because there was one too many people. Like sometimes yeah. you get a twist on top of a twist where the guy comes back and he's like, "Oh yeah, hey, I'm from Mars." The 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 the, the, the the diner guy's like, oh, well, I'm from Venus, and so we're going to take you over, too. And that the episode's just like the Martian being like, oh, I'm screwed. Yep. That, and how funny was the reveal for that? Because the reveals are really subtle. Like, in not when they happen, but the reveals are not done in this big over-the-top flash of light, now I look different way. Well, he just took his hat off, the, the yeah. guy from Venus just took his hat yeah. off, he had an extra eye. Yeah, but then the Martian, the Martian did, had a third arm. He's sitting, there at the, he's sitting there at the counter sipping coffee, and he goes to do something, and a third arm comes up and starts doing something else. Oh, that's right, that's right. And uh, so, okay, Matt, you, you had some others? 
Yeah, I had uh, at least one more. Uh, this was a really, really creepy one. Uh, the the dummy. Oh, with the um, the ventriloquist dummy. Yes. So the premise of the it's it's basically the premise of the sh- of the episode is you have a ventriloquist. He has a dummy. He's kind of like a drunk, and he kind of starts what you think is like hallucinating that the dummy's like like alive. And and talking to him, and really, it's there's a lot of sinister like overtones to the dummy. Mm-hmm. So he uh, he like locks up the dummy, thinking like that's gonna actually like you know solve his issues. But he starts hearing the dummy's voice following him around everywhere, and he destroys what he thinks is the dummy. He eventually, gets to the point where he he thinks he destroys the dummy, but it's not. Mm-hmm. Um, and then at the very last kind of the last scene you see he's it's doing he's supposed to be doing his act but you see that the dummy is actually the one doing the act and the guy has been turned into a ventriloquist dummy himself it's a it's kind of like a precursor in a sense to some of like the evil doll type uh like genre shows that are that came out like uh like child's play something like that there's it's one just, that's actually i think a little bit it's a more direct precursor to those but finish yeah. your thought and then i'll jump in no i'm just saying it's like anytime you have like a, a an evil doll thing to me that that's super creepy yeah Talkie well Tina do you, then do you remember the episode living doll where um i can't remember who plays it was the guy that went on to be um kojak but he's a step yeah he was a stepfather and his wife bought this talking doll for his daughter Talkie tina and he, he hates that his wife bought this for him. And he, he, he doesn't know how to relate to this girl. And he can't have kids on his own. So this is his only chance to be a dad. And he doesn't know what to do. But he's so like bound up in all the stress and anger that he's emotionally abusive. And then the doll starts talking to him. My name's Talkie Tina. And I think I could hate you. And like she starts screwing with him. But not, not in big ways. Not like you know Chucky pops up with a knife in his hand. Like... This girl loves the doll, so she takes it everywhere with her. And the doll's threatening him because the doll loves the girl. But they're like they're sitting there eating dinner, and he looks up from where he's eating dinner, and the doll just opens one eye and then closes it real quick. That's all it. That's all it is. But it's creepier than about anything else you see for just a quick little aside. And he and, can't destroy it. And it created this. Take this object. But be careful. It carries a terrible curse. That's bad. But it comes with a free frogut. That's good. The frogut is also cursed. That's bad. But you get your choice of topping. That's good. The toppings contain potassium benzoate. That's bad. Can I go now? I... That's... I love that episode of Treehouse of Four. I actually had that back in the day. I had that uh, taped on a VHS. Me too, because that's the one where um, where he gets fired and becomes a grave digger, and then gets like burns um, like they put his brain in the robot, and then Burns gets like stitched to his shoulder. Yeah. That ep- that particular episode where that's parodying about the evil doll, mm-hmm. the, the arguably the best line from outside of that little clip you just aired, the best line is the repair guy coming. Here's your problem. Someone set this doll to evil. 
<laughs> I also like I also like him. The doll's trying to kill me, and the toaster's been laughing at me again. <laughs> um, Matt, the other thing I was going to say is that episode that you referenced, the dummy, mm-hmm. has a spiritual successor from the 2002 Twilight Zone, except the twist is the same, but the setup is completely different. I think it was called Dream Lover. And it was the guy that went on to play Nathan Petrelli on Heroes. He's a, an artist or a writer or something. He's got writer's block. So in order to break it, he decides to to create his his dream woman. And that, that'll help inspire him. And she comes to life. It's Shannon Elizabeth. The end of the flipping episode, it she convinces him that she created him. And he becomes a picture on the page. And she walks off to go have her life. And it's just like, and it used, and I'd forgotten that those two tie together that way. So there's a, there's a good thing from one of the reboots. <laughs> All right, let's see. Did you have any others, uh, Matt, that you wanted to? Uh, I have to think. Okay. There's one I don't remember what it is where. It's a western one and like some bad guy had died and they were saying this guy was too scared to go up and visit his grave. And then um, the the end is pretty much that he died because he stuck a knife in the grave. But he he um, he accidentally put the knife in his coat when he put it in the ground. And then when he went to walk away, he thought the guy was grabbing him and it scared him so bad that he died. Yeah. Um, I had before I saw that episode, I had heard that as a version of a ghost story, mm-hmm. uh, but it was that, that's like a classic ghost story. Yeah, yeah. It was a girl with a letter opener, and she like shoved it through her nightgown or something. Um, we also got to give credit; they did a great live action rendition of Occurrence at Owl Creek Bridge. Because oh, there have been right. others, that, yeah. There have been others that have tried to do it, and and you know, not. Uh, but they did a great job with that. I like uh, Mr. Beavis, too. That was a good episode. Let's see. That's there... the one where, like, he's he's kind of a goof, and he's kind of endearing, but he sucks at his job, and, like, all this bad stuff happens, so he gets a chance to, um... He gets a chance to do the day over, but he has to give up, like, all the fun, like, like flair of his life, and he decides that he would rather be him than, like, have his job. Hmm. I think that has um. Nah, I, I let me look that up. That might have okay. the. Um, I want to see the actors. Cause I want to say that's like um, Scrooge McDuck and the guy from Mister Ed. That <laughs> might be wrong. While you're looking that up, there's one that I really enjoy. That is. Um, Alan Young would be. That is that is not a big known one, but I get a kick out of it anyway. It's. It, I suppose you could almost call it a formulaic episode, but it's called The Silence. And there are these these guys that, when you call it a gentleman's club, it doesn't have the same meaning it does today. But it's basically where these men go and hang out. And one of them there is, I mean, he's chatterbox. He talks a lot. And uh, someone else there bets him like a million dollars in 1960s money that... Um, you know, he couldn't stay quiet for a whole year. 
So he's like, okay, uh, five hundred thousand. Sorry, I uh, went to um, He's done a lot of more recent stuff, but he, I guess, the role I would know him from is he was the voice of Bilbo Baggins in that um, late seventies Hobbit cartoon. In those Rankin Bass Hobbits. Yeah, that was actually okay. a good movie. Um, so the he's he's like, okay, we'll set this up, we'll make the deal, and. The guy who's supposed to stay silent, they have like this this glass thing set up there at the club so he can be observed that he doesn't actually talk at any point, right? And the guy who made the bet is messing with him, and um, he's he's talking to him about how his wife's running around on him and that sort of stuff. And he just he stays put until the end of the year, and so when he walks out, the other guy can't pay him because it turns out he doesn't have any money left. Like, it's all gone. But the dude who made the bet and was in there for a year had his vocal cords severed so that he could actually stay quiet for a year because he knew he couldn't do it. So it was all done for nothing. And I'm like, wow, that's some Twilight Zone stuff right there. That one's a good one. That's kind of like there's um, there's a lot of um, there's a lot of stuff that goes into that because that's almost like a reverse um, gift of the Magi. Mm hmm. Mm. um to it if you, if you don't know what that is that's like the 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 husband and wife can't afford to to get themselves gifts so she like he sells like his watch to get her like these these um like combs for her hair and she like cuts her hair off and sells it to get him like a clip for his watch or something or a chain for yeah. his watch so it's kind of a reverse like situation of that yeah it it's that's um a story by O. Henry I remember reading in high school. Uh, you really got to read the whole story to get the um, to get the context for it. But it's it's yeah, it's a good story. <clears throat> Let me see. Uh, I close that then. There's there's a whole subgenre in um, in Twilight Zone, and a lot of them are good about like space travel and like the perils of it. Mm-hmm. Like, there's the one where they crash land, and then the one guy ends up killing everyone, and really they just crashed into, like, the Nevada desert. And he yeah, it's called, oh, I remember that one, yeah. I shot an arrow in the air. And then there's the one where they crash land. No, they might have just landed normally, but the guy finds the little society, and he, like, starts bossing them around, and he kills everyone because he doesn't want to leave, and then, like, the little people figure out how to like subdue him oh wow like remember they make the statue of him I don't here I've been on the ball for so many of them and now I'm oh I'll have to look that up okay huh there's also the space travel one that has a twist, but I also find it to be one of the scarier episodes where the the woman in the farmhouse is being terrorized by these little creatures, and then she finally like smashes all of them, and it's a it's a United States um, like spaceship, and that was astronauts that were like attacking her, and she's really a giant. Hmm. Yeah, I remember that one not super well, but. I think that one's called yeah, that one's called the Invaders. Yeah, I have that one right here. Yeah, I think that's one of the scarier ones. 
And there is, um, oh, I'm trying to remember. There's one that's similar to that. It was one of the last ones that it, it's, it's the same concept but reversed. It's, it's small aliens trying to, um, look at it. It's called the fear. That's what it is. A uh, state trooper and secluded woman experienced strange incidents. So it's 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 that story kind of flipped on its head. Still is the good. Odyssey of Flight Thirty Three where they were time traveling and they actually have a dinosaur on that one. Um, you know what? I don't know. I'll look. Yeah, I think so. That's a way good one. way better than the Langoliers. <laughs> Oh, God. <laughs> no question about that one, is there? <laughs> oh, man. So, we've kind of already been hitting on, on stuff that's echoed or, or, or played forward or something to that effect. Um, what... Uh, where are we going to go from here, Brad? I've, I've kind of um, lost my place. I know you haven't seen the movie. Have you seen the movie, Matt? I feel like I saw it many, many years ago. But not anytime recently. Oh, that's kind of a shame. So th- I think the movie's actually a worthy successor versus like... Um, I don't feel like any of the other follow-up series have ever quite gotten it right. I would agree with that. I've seen some of them, and I haven't been impressed. And, like, Night Gallery is a Rod Sterling thing, and it's... it. I would call it good, but it doesn't live up to Twilight Zone. Did it have a different premise to it? Well, so he, he hosts that one, but it's like... It's, it's, it's the same premise, but it's like him going through an art gallery for, like, the first couple seasons, and he, like walk up to a painting and be like, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then they do the episode. But that one, most of them were not full length, like, of the episode. Like, you get, like, it would usually be a half hour with two stories. Mm. You kind of mentioned earlier that the hour-long episodes didn't really work because they were too... um, Too long. Yeah. It it went for too long to really... um, Like, you need enough time to flesh the concept out, but you don't need it to be so long that you overstay your welcome. There were a couple of episodes of that that worked, but I feel like most of them were flops. Yeah, I'm not a fan of that either. And, like, where I feel like the... I think the the newer series just don't have the same creativity to them, and they always feel like they're... They're really just trying to, like, copy the original without, like, doing their own thing. Yeah. um, Like, they're both trying too hard and then not doing a great job. Because I think, like... I think, personally, if you were to offer me... Give me a choice between, like, any of the newer versions of it and Tales from the Crypt. I would take Tales from the Crypt as a better <laughs> anthology than those. 
And even that's it's, like really not Is that because of the stories or the Crypt Keeper? <laughs> well, I mean, he's great, but I mean, I feel like that's a better anthology series because it's doing its own thing, even if it's retelling some of like those EC stories. But I just feel like that does a better job. Gotcha. Yeah, well, I don't know. It seemed like, like Twilight Zone seemed more on the... They, they, that's the way I can phrase this. Twilight Zone wasn't afraid to hit. Twilight Zone was genreless because one episode might be sci-fi, one episode might be pure horror. Then yeah. You might get an episode that's comedy, but then you might get a sports sci-fi episode, but then you might get like a straight-up sports episode. Mm-hmm. And um, like you might get like a true crime, like a true crime-ish like episode, like or just like a medical drama, like it it kind of jumped all over the place. Yeah. Yeah, and and whenever like Tales from the Crypt is very much going for the horror motif. Yeah. So that because, oddly enough, kind of handcuffs them. And because sometimes, like sometimes the Twilight Zone, like some of those episodes don't necessarily have a lot of new supernatural stuff to it. Like sometimes like you're just dealing with like people that are in like a very toxic relationship mm-hmm. and like someone kills the other person. Like that's like a viable, that's a viable story for twilight zones. Like, so it kind of knows no bounds, no genre. And I think, I think maybe that's why the, um, the the re, the newer series fails because they always think like oh this is a horror sci-fi thing yeah and they handcuff themselves again and i feel like i actually feel like compared to like the 50s and the 60s now we very much like have handcuffed like our genre flexibility for television mm-hmm. like i feel like i feel like Hollywood's very uninterested in like going outside of like a couple of of genres. Yeah, they're not interested in taking risks or trying new stuff much anymore. Yeah, because like I don't feel like I don't feel like I don't feel like you would get an honest attempt at like a western story or like or like a mobster story or you know you know an office thing with some weird supernatural elements not really um they they i'm not sure how to i suppose on one hand i might say it's like yeah they're not willing to do that anymore they they've all it i mean it's a business so of course they're they're wanting to do things that are going to succeed but on the other hand you know you got to people get sick of the same dead gum story over and over like look love comics love superheroes but did we already need another Batman movie I submit we did not but it's like do you need do you need the upteenth like Spider-Man origin story yeah yeah I'm gonna um I'm gonna slightly disagree. I think I think you do have a valid point. I will say I think that I think with with TV shows, I do think probably with the the onset of the streaming services, I do think that you'll get a little more um, like there are there, these companies or networks will will let people push the envelopes 
a little. Okay, that's fair. That's fair. Uh, so you will see things that you probably won't see otherwise, or you'll see like some really avant-garde stuff, or, or really just well-done stuff. Uh, I, I I wouldn't say like oh you'll never see a western because I feel like they there are networks out there that have done westerns like I there's one is a Yellowstone there's there's like a western show that with uh, Kevin Costner and there there's a show on Netflix I think Longmire might be like a western or at least like western themed it's western themed it's set in like Montana or Wyoming or something yeah and he's a sheriff. Yeah, I do think that uh, like TV shows is where like some of the really interesting stuff is being done. And I remember I went this is years ago at this point, but right before uh, right before the third Captain America film came out, mm-hmm. the Russo brothers who did that film, and then of course went on to do the the final two Avengers movies. They were they did a, actually like a, a talk here in DC. Uh, mm-hmm. And my wife and I got tickets for it, uh, and we went, and it was basically like just like a, I won't say roundtable, but they were being asked questions. It was almost like an NPR type of interview, but with an audience. Uh, and they basically said like, actually, we because they they had started their careers in indie uh, filmmaking back in the '90s, mm-hmm. and the argument they were making was that actually like nowadays it's it's changed like. Uh, we're doing these Marvel movies, which and we're trying to do like you know something new and interesting with them. But in general, film today, they're not doing anything like it, nothing is like avant-garde. It's like these big uh, franchise pieces, things like that. It's the interesting stuff is being done in TV, and I feel like that's generally been okay. Like I mean, you generally been truthful. Like I, I think you would never have seen shows like Breaking Bad back like in the day. No, I don't think that, so. Yeah, that's that's fair. That said, I do think you have a point where it's like uh, some of these networks and streaming services do try and like they try and do their own thing too. Where they're falling into like the franchise, where they're trying to like find stuff that's similar. It's like well, oh, think- Game of Thrones. Let me sorry to cut you off, but Game of, like, oh. it's like Game of Thrones is popular. Oh, let's uh, let's make The Witcher. And I know The Witcher is not really like it like game of thrones at all but it's like to a network it's like oh uh people like uh swords and like magic stuff all right well, we'll you do like one sword of and sorcery we're gonna yeah. find us some sort look i got a i got a, a great another great one for that because amazon prime is making a tv series out of the wheel of time mm, yeah and, there you go yeah wheel of time and they're also doing not amazon but i mean they're uh Hollywood is doing like prequels to uh, Game of Thrones. You don't need to. There, uh, another is it Amazon? There's some other streaming service that is doing, I believe, a Lord of the Rings show. That's Amazon. Okay, that's also that's Amazon too. Okay, yeah, yeah it, it's like uh, so. You, I think you have a valid point where it's like, oh, you it's like this one genre show was successful oh let's make a let's make like five more of those well it's like they they might have varying degrees they might be varying degrees of good but it's like do we really need this many i don't necessarily think so and i think you've run into the problem like i think that i think netflix is really guilty of this but like 
a lot of like the storytelling now is about like drip feeding you content and like dragging things out for as long as possible like i think where i think where a show like this would struggle is like the art form of like the single episode story like the like a 30 minute story is really lost like i don't know if the way they tell stories now if they could actually make 30 minutes for a single story work because like some of these episodes really really pound a lot of stuff in there and like keep the pacing really well and if you watch like current stuff it takes and this goes this is true for movies too it takes like twice as long to tell the same story now than it used to they assume that the they assume the audience is dumber and in doing so and spoon feeding everything now the audience expects to be spoon fed everything and if they're not then it's like oh well then i don't okay i'll i'll make this admission uh back when it came out in theaters i saw the league of extraordinary gentlemen in theaters and i it's i think i was interning in dc at the time so i saw it at the union station theater and so you had folks there who were who were screen talkers <laughs> um and at the beginning like they they go through the trouble of having dorian gray tell you anything that happens to me happens to my portrait but i can't look at my portrait or i'll die he tells you all that right and then later in the movie he gets stabbed and someone goes what is he a vampire too and i'm like And so, by insisting on spoon-feeding everything to everybody, if it's going to be a, a mass market or a wide appeal thing, now you have to do it. What I struggle so. with, what I struggle with with some shows, and I don't remember what show did this, but I was really annoyed with it. But we watched something, and I got really annoyed because I'm like, this show isn't even following like the rules it's set up for itself in the first episode. <laughs> Like, it's episode two, and it's already breaking its own rules. Like, you can't do that. No, because what, what's the point? Wait, what show is this? I don't remember. There was some show. Now, I will defend The Witcher. The Witcher was actually pretty good. It did not treat their audience like it was like they're dumb, but the first episode sucks. I haven't seen it yet. I, that's it's on my list of things to watch. But... It, you know, honestly, though, I think I think Henry I think Henry Cavill saved it. Oh wow! He yeah, really good Henry Cavill is underrated by a lot of people. Henry yeah, he Cavill is. is also an undercover nerd and Wheel of Time fan, so I like him. <laughs> I, think I don't he, think he's undercover. He's he. No, like, he's pretty he's, out about it now. Yeah, because he says he thing? would rather he to, he. Mm-hmm. There was an article, and he said like I would rather stay in and play Total Warhammer two than 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 go out. Uh, he did a video where he he built his own PC on camera. Yeah, I was actually going to mention that. Like that was a, that was like a video from earlier this year, like during COVID, mm-hmm. where he basically was like, "Yeah, like you know, can't go out COVID. Guess I'll uh, build my own PC." And it's like he literally is like a video is him putting it together, and he knew what he was doing. Yeah, it's not like oh, I quickly Googled and watched a YouTube video of how to do this, so I'm going to do it on camera to make it look like I know what I'm doing. No, he knew what he was doing. He just straight did it. Um, the yeah, one... he's a dude who admits, like, he, like, I think he plays, like, D&D and... Yeah. Or at least PC games, at least. Yeah. Well, and, and 
to I'm gonna I'm gonna dovetail for just a second to go back to what you said earlier. It might I'm I'm gonna defend Amazon for because they yeah they're doing the it's like oh sword and sorcery's popular let's do that. If they're picking up Wheel of Time, at least it's done, and it was consistently at the top of the bestseller list. So you have a built-in audience, you know, doing that. I think Amazon, Amazon stuff typically, they typically, I would say the last couple years, they typically put out better stuff than Amazon does. I mean, than Netflix does. Netflix usually, Netflix is where I usually run into problems with stuff sucking or like running into like the filler problem more than I do with Amazon. Yeah, it, I can't be the only one confused about how Bird Box got to be a big thing. Oh, that was well. The book. My wife read the book and said the book was pretty good, and she said the movie was like a terrible. Have you? We. My wife and I actually just watched that because every every October we watch uh, scary movies. My wife is not a horror movie fan, but she will. Uh, she actually gets yeah, into. That's, that's she gets shitty. in. She gets into watching horror movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't hate it, but have you guys seen it? It well, it's fine for like the first half of the movie, and then it goes like stupid towards the it, end. It, the thing I, I, the thing I just like recall about it or, or noted from it, it's just a relentlessly bleak. Like it's literally a like the end of the world. Yeah. And yeah. multi like, I'm gonna I'll just spoil it for people. Like basically. Outside of like all like a couple like basically three characters, like everyone dies and in graphically violent ways, and most of them by by like by suicide. It's just horrific. Well, and they do like the problem with that is I think the characters did like some intentionally really stupid things that people would not do in those situations, just so mm. the plot would work. That's true. I am just not. Hey. I, I'm. I don't like stuff that's that bleak. Like that's not enjoyable. The thing about the Twilight Zone is it typically turns out not great for somebody, but not always. And it's not like oh, you know. There's a few apocalyptic scenarios. Well, at least at least at least the really bleak ones, you're just getting drugged through shards of glass for 21 minutes instead of for like two and a half hours. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. And I, 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 if if Bird Box didn't have Sandra Bullock in it, no, I don't think people would have watched it. Like, no, the book was the book was kind of popular. Okay. Um, and then Did I the, think it picked up steam because it was so bad that like people had to like check it out for its badness. Okay. No, I would, I would actually, I would counter that by saying that I think Netflix just has really good marketing. Like, I think they, I remember. Uh, the year that it came out, my wife and I were visiting my sister-in-law in Los Angeles, and they were promoting that heavily in Los Angeles. Like we were at a, we were at like a, I think we went to like a, a brewery or something, and we walked out and like right next to us there was like an, a parking lot and there was this huge like uh, bus, and we're like, what is this? Because there was like a line of people there, and we walked over and it was a bus that they had converted into like a, the bird box experience. Cause you're supposed to put on like a blindfold and then yeah, y- you go into the bus and they have it almost like a, you, you would have this like weird, like 
you sit down on a bench and they do this experience where it's like, oh my god, now you're like you're being like there are demons or whatever monsters around you, but you're blindfolded so you can't see, and you you get like the whole like sensory experience, and it's kind of dumb, but it lasted only like a minute or two, but it was viral it was- marketing. It's like here, uh, come. Uh, come experience this and then go watch bird box at home. And it's like, it's dumb, but it's like you, it got you thinking about the movie. Like it, it put it in your mind. And I think that that's, that's what led them to actually have mm. big numbers. And I think that with other stuff that they've done, they, it, they've done a pretty good job of marketing stuff like that. Some wrestling promotion did a bird box match for me. <laughs> oh, really? Like <laughs> last year. And I, I was trying, I, I wanted to track it down, but, That'd be hilarious if you had to like act like you died if you lost. You know what's funny? Well, not funny about Netflix and their marketing is that just blew up in their face horribly over the summer, like extremely horribly. With uh, cuties. Oh yeah, that blew up in their yep. face. Really for those bad. for those who aren't aware, it's there's this. It's apparently it's a French French film. Yeah. Uh, and it, they described it as like it's called cuties i guess it's the american it's supposed to be according to people that there's like an apologist movement and i think i think that they i think it's true but it's it's a it's a movie that's supposed to be a commentary about sexualizing children but it sexualizes yes. children to it's it's about a, a muslim immigrant family uh that travel that moves to france and the little girl uh, is trying to fit in, and she kind of becomes friends with this gr- dance group of girls, and she joins them, and they do like dance routines. It is it is allegedly supposed to be a commentary on how we should not sexualize young girls, which is obviously like we can all agree with that message. The problem is that all of the girls in the film are supposed to be, I think, they're supposed to be like eleven, mm-hmm. and they're the way that the the director who is apparently like a, a female director like the the way the director gets this message across don't sexualize young girls it's is by sexual is by sexualizing young girls like they do like twerking they do like all these like i guess i haven't seen the film and i refuse to watch it but the, all these like provocative dance numbers there's and i've read like the plot because people were like this is what's actually in the movie and i'm horrified like there's apparently there's scenes where 11 year old girls are like trying to take pictures of like boys private areas they're like looking at porn on their phones or something and it's just like what what the fuck like netflix what are you doing well why couldn't what i don't get about that and i know i know france loves their like fucked up awful movies but um what why why couldn't you have done the same thing and used 18 and 19 year olds and pretended like they were like 14 instead of 11 they hollywood this isn't a hollywood production but like yeah hollywood routinely does that with tv shows like they cast people who are in their 20s and cast them as you know quote-unquote teenagers like my wife and i this is a guilty pleasure of ours we watched the show riverdale yeah which is based on Archie Comics. If you've ever seen the show, it is the most ridiculous show ever. It is so far removed <laughs> from what well, it had, the, um, the actual Archie Comics are. It had um, oh, Jungle Boys. Oh, Luke Perry was the dad until he yes. died. Yeah, but it, I mean, it is a it's a dark show. Like, there's every show is like it, it's 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 violent. 
there's like serial killers in the show. It's like, what the hell is this? But all of those actors and actresses are like in their early twenties and they're portraying, you know, college, not college. Well, now that I think they're moving into college, but they're portraying like high school kids. Yeah. And it's like, well, okay. The Hollywood does that. You have like legal adults and you can have them be like, you know, wink, wink. They're, they're teenagers folks. And that would, that would at least be like, it would make sense. It's like, no, they got like actual, like, 11 year old girls and it's just i think i think what happened there is um i think the the whoever whoever created that movie i think i think there's an issue where people get way too deep into that artist bubble and they they lose like perspective they lose sense of like what's appropriate and i think while she probably did set out with noble intentions i think she totally missed the irony of what she did and i still think based on things i've seen her say afterwards i still think she doesn't understand like you done messed up okay just just put this put this out there i want to consider if they were actually using you know um 11 year old girls for this what did the casting look like? What did the casting calls look like? Well, I mean, what were they I mean, having these at... girls do in order to decide whether or not they were going to be in this movie? Yeah, but if you if you look at like the the um, the child beauty pageant culture here, I don't think that like really. I mean, parents do shitty things to their kids all the time. They do, if but if there's money in it, like I mean. What it was that Gary Coleman whose like parents stole all of his fucking money? Yeah, yeah. But consider what that was like, cause God, that. And look at the shit like look at the shit like Shirley Temple's parents did to her back in the day. Like I don't think, I don't think a lot of parents give a give a flying shit about it. Honestly, uh, they certainly there's don't. There's a buck to be made. They don't seem to, but at some point during this someone had to to look around during this casting call or something and go, are we really doing this? I don't know. I've seen some shit coming out of Hollywood here where you kind of wonder why no one said, like, hey, maybe we shouldn't do this. Yeah. Because what was that... Um, what was that movie from, like, the early 80s that... Um, was like a big catastrophe and they were like killing horses on set and stuff and they actually had to put laws in about not torturing animals for movies um cannibal holocaust that sounds oh no i think it had gate in the title or something heaven's gate maybe no that's the cult well no but there's a movie about it too that might have been that might have been it But yeah, I mean, like there, there's been some fucked up shit that's happened on the set of films, or um, yeah. what, um, what, um, oh, I'm sorry, it's getting late, people. You're gonna have to forgive me. What, who, who directed, um, who directed, uh, fucking The Shining? Kubrick. Kubrick, yes, on the Kubrick. What Kubrick did to, um, uh, the, the Shelley lady Duvall. that played, yeah, what he did to her on the fucking set of The Shining, like shit, like that, um has been more than acceptable forever and probably still is so um, it's fascinating with with kubrick on the set of the shining 
is that he did that to Duvall, but he went to such great lengths to protect the, the actor playing the little boy that the little boy didn't even realize they were making a horror movie. Like, that that's how far he went to protect the little boy's innocence. And it's like, wow, that's... That is some crazy dichotomy on display right there. Which, weird side note, but um, I was very disappointed in Dr. Sleep. I haven't seen that. You know, so they, they like... They, like, give you this movie you really want to see, which is, like, Danny Torrance, like, trying to, like, deal with this, like, shitty thing that happened to him. And then they, they, they offer that to you, and then they hold it hostage with a movie you don't really want to see. But you keep going because you're hoping they go back to this movie that they, like, teased you with at the beginning. And then they're like, no, you don't get that. Was that because oh, they, they, what, they, like, had him pair up with the girl Firestarter. Yeah, yeah, he pairs up with this girl, and then there's these monsters like chasing them, and then they go back to the Overlook, which that part's cool. But like, I really just wanted a movie about like Danny being this like alcoholic, kind of like coping with um, with this like horrifying thing that happened to him. Was it was the girl in question supposed to be the one from Firestarter? I don't know. I don't think I've seen Firestarter. That was the Drew Barrymore, but okay. I may just be wrong about that. But like, I think the movie had some problems too because I think they're basing it on a sequel to the book, and the book and the movie are nothing like each other. Oh, okay. Mm. They're both like the book and the the Shining, the book and the Shining, the movie are very not alike but they're great in different ways yeah um i know he's not exactly the most uh popular figure but that was the nostalgia critic got a hold of the uh the shining tv series and he was he was trying to reach for anything the series did better than the movie and he's like and so he finally comes to the point like the thing that was better what was what was um, the the dad's name? What was Jack. His? Jack. Jack was better because Jack actually went back and forth. He went from being like caring about him and then like going off the deep end and like actually going back and forth. Where you know Jack Nicholson just kind of plays Jack Nicholson. Well, the the book's interesting because like um, to- Jack Torrance in the book is like really trying to do better. Yeah. yeah, and it's like it's like is have you have you guys read the book? Yes. Okay. Well, like the the book is like the book does these great like subtle touches like where he's in the phone booth and he starts chewing the Excedrin, which is something he does like when he was like an alcoholic, and you're just like, and there's this like part of you that doesn't want it to happen because like they show you like the good side of him that's not like mm-hmm. the alcoholic, and you're like, come on, man, like you're doing so good, like don't do this. Yeah, I think the scariest part of the book is when Danny's like under the snow and the hedge animals attack him. No, oh, yeah, that I, I love the movie, and I think there's there's many things about the movie I actually prefer uh, from the book. But there there are some things about the book that I actually prefer, and one of the things I do I do like is in the versus the film. The in the film. It's kind of just like heavily implied, like oh the the hotel is haunted. Whereas 
in the book, it kind of really leaves this impression or kind of gives the insinuation that the the hotel has almost become like its own entity. Well, and you get like a history of the hotel in the book. Because remember, he finds that yeah. stuff in the basement, and that's really where it kind of all goes to. Mm-hmm. And he, but I, th- I like the book better because he gets like a moment of redemption at the end too. Yeah. Like very brief, but. Um... And then um, they don't kill the shit out of Scatman Crothers in the book either. <laughs> Yeah, that, that I I have heard the argument made that that's they're they're both very good tellings of a slightly different story. So I have to say though, that's a great subversion though, as they spend all that time with Scatman Crothers going up there, and he gets two steps into that damn hotel, <laughs> and he gets an axe right in the heart. <laughs> all that build, thinking he's going to come in and be a hero, and then. Well, no, no, not really. That's a I watched that movie so much too. Not really my scene, but I can appreciate a good story. Oh, there was something. Um, we were doing something, and my wife and I were laughing about some bartender named Lloyd in a movie. Like, oh, don't take drinks from that guy. <laughs> yeah. Your money is no good here, sir. Well, guys, I think we have about uh, run out of run out of gas for our Twilight Zone episode, but we had yeah, a lot I'm of fun to, with it. Mm-hmm. I'm about to pass out on my feet. So. <laughs> well, we want to say thank you, everybody, for being with us. Um, was there a Twilight Zone episode that we that we missed that you think we should have talked about? What are some of your favorites? What do you think are the best? If those aren't the same thing, as they may not be. But um, we would love to hear from you. Please hit us up on our social media. And so, this is Shad here with Matt and Brad. We've been in three quarters. And now you're leaving the Four Corner Zone.